Scishow Tangents is brought to you by Shopify. Hank, when you started your career as <laughs> the internet science man, was opening an online store something that you were really thinking that hard about or something you thought you'd do in a billion years? I was uh, making a shop before I was the internet science man. Oh, what? That was the first thing I did. I was that first. Wow, I got to learn my Hank history. How did that go for you? <laughs> Good. I'll, here's what I'll tell you. Like the the the... The part where we start selling a thing and you get to see the number go up is so exciting. And uh, when it's just like you uh, by yourself, you got to be careful. But luckily, (laughs) Shopify has all kinds of little tools to help you with that, to help you with increasing conversions, to help you with managing orders, with customer support, with all of the stuff. Uh, Because it's a, you know. I don't know. It feels like the industry standard. And so there are all kinds of plugins that you can use to make your Shopify work for you in particular. That's right. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from vlogging in your parents' basement to treading the boards of Carnegie Hall. Now, it was my basement. It was my (laughs) basement of my own home that I was renting. (laughs) Downstairs of. (laughs) If you say so. From your first sale to your one millionth, Shopify is here to help you grow. And they've got a proven track record, my friends. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and powers entrepreneurs in 175 countries. They have, as Hank mentioned, the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And they have award-winning customer service because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. You can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tangents, all lowercase tangents. Go to shopify.com slash tangents now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash T-A-N-G-E-N-T-S, all lowercase. Hello and welcome to SciShow Tangents, the frightfully competitive science knowledge scream case. I'm your ghost for this week, Sam Skulls, and joining me this week, as always, is mad scientist Scary Riley. Ruh-roh. <laughs> and our very scary special guest, Daboki Chakravarti. Hello. <laughs> I realized I was supposed to come up with a scary way to say hi, but... <laughs> Boki is Tangents' editorial assistant, and she's here sitting in for me, and I'm sitting in for Hank, because it's Pizzamas, and in addition to Halloween, so Hank doesn't have the time of day for us. He's too busy helping charity. So that's why I'm here being the host, and this is my introduction question. Do you have any nice memories of Halloween as children? Oh, that's such a wholesome question. Hank's always come out of left field. Uh, how does your butt feel on <laughs> Halloween? That's what could say. <laughs> yeah. What is the oldest and most rancid piece of candy you've ever eaten? <laughs> <laughs> that is a Hank. That's a really good Hank question. Did you do Halloween as, as children? Yeah. I mean, mostly my memory is just like the spreading out of candy with friends after and trading, Yeah, which is a happy memory. I feel like mm-hmm. efficient consumption of candy making sure everyone's optimized what candy they get is very <laughs> so you went out in like happy. a big crew trick-or-treating it was like a three or four person crew and That's like one size. of my friends lived in you know the good neighborhood to get candy from so how late did you trick-or-treat how old were you when you stopped i feel like the last time i went was maybe when i was in eighth grade okay that's a good time to stop 
Yeah. You can't go trick-or-treating in high school or else you're going to get your ass kicked. (laughs) (laughs) So my wholesome story, maybe it's not so wholesome, is Uh the one time I went not quite trick-or-treating in high school. Uh Me and four or five friends, you can tell we were a bunch of nerds, dressed up as Christmas carolers. And so we would ring doorbells on Halloween. (laughs) And sing a Christmas carol. That's amazing. I hate this, and I hate you. <laughs> That's pretty good, though. How did people react? They were very surprised for the most part. I think they reacted exactly like you did. At first, they were, like, mad, and then they were like, oh, this is actually kind of funny. <laughs> okay, well, great. Thanks for talking to me about Halloween. Every week on Tangents, we get together to try to unnerve, disgust, and horrify each other with science facts while trying to stay on topic. Our panelists are playing for Gory, and they're also playing for Sandbucks, which I will be awarding as we play. And at the end of the episode, one of them will be crowned the winner. And for this most horrible, awful, bone-chilling month of all, we'll be focusing on some traditionally eerie topics. We talked about storms last week, and this week it's a surprise what we're talking about if you didn't read the title. But also each week we will all collaborate on an exquisite corpse science poem. If you don't know what exquisite corpses are and you didn't listen to the last episode, they're collaborative poems where everyone takes turns adding the next word of a poem without being able to see the words that were added previously. So then you unfold the piece of paper and it's a big surprise poem. I cheated a little bit and I make our sound a little bit better than maybe they otherwise would, but we'll get there. <laughs> Does it rhyme this week? I guess we'll find out. It rhymes a little bit. We tried. We tried out rhyming and it, you know what? It kind of worked in a few different places, mostly because we all accidentally picked words that rhymed with each other. This one's much better. Ah. So buckle your seatbelts. <laughs> and now we introduce this week's topic of terror with our exquisite corpse science poem read to us by Deboki. A whisker twitch, a tricky mouse. With a purr, the predator waits. Swipe of a paw, the house is quiet. Hunter of the domestic realm, its claw raw peril. A hiss from a fish stinking maw. A ball of smelly, yowling, snack-wanting belly boy. Attacks its dish with fangs made for meat. Beans careening through the room. Blank eyes hide an evil mind. Curled at the witch's feet. Thinking of murder. That was a scary voice, Devoki. Yeah, very sinister. That was like a murder podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Well, great job. So the topic this week is cats. Sari, what is cats? (laughs) Scientifically speaking, the word cat refers to generally any member of the Felidae family of mammals. Um, So like carnivores get split into cat-like carnivores and dog-like carnivores. Mm. The classic divide. Yeah, but cat can also refer more specifically nowadays to the domestic cat, which is the species Felis catus. We all have cats, Uh so I'll just keep describing my cat. She's (laughs) kind of chunky. She has primordial pouch. Wait, what is a primordial pouch? That that is to to keep their guts safe? Is that true? I think so. Uh, I didn't actually research this. My partner, Sylvia, always tells me this fact. So a really reliable source. A really (laughs) concrete source. It's like a flap of skin that holds all their guts together. But more importantly, I think, it's like the loose belly that hangs below a cat, both male and female, um, and kind of swings around. And it's so that 
if they get attacked, they have all this loose skin that can be jostled around before uh-huh. a predator can get to their organs, oh, I think. Dear. So it's like a bullfighting. They have the red cape. <laughs> <laughs> Cats have their little swishy primordial pouch. Oh, to and it's so safe. cute. But it, like all things on the cat, help it to murder better, right? And, mm-hmm. and not be murdered in return. Yeah, help them twist around. Yeah. Uh, okay. And where does the word cat come from? So the word cat is thought to be from the late Latin catus. Uh, which was first used around the 700s, so like the 6th century. And before that, I think because it wasn't white people, we we don't really know. Yeah. And by we, I mean the online dictionary that I look at for these <laughs> etymologies. Right. Uh, I'm sure some people know. But it is probably derived from an Afro-Asiatic or um, Nubian or... Arabic word mm-hmm. uh, because the, there's like a similar word. I think in Arabic, it's it basically sounds like cat. I just right. can't pronounce mm-hmm. the the letters correctly, mm-hmm. which makes sense because that's where domestic cats originated, and so they would have the word yeah. for cat and then talk about it. And by the time Greeks and Romans learned about it, they were yeah. like, "Oh, that's a cat. I'm, I'm going to take that word now." Yeah. Have you did you look at all into why we think cats are spooky? Yeah, like how did the the cat witch thing come about? It seems like the Catholics uh, uh-huh. <laughs> were just looking yeah. at things to blame because, like we've mentioned, cats were domesticated in like the Fertile Crescent region and Egyptians they had rituals involving cats and thought of them with high esteem. Mm-hmm. Um, and so those rituals could have evolved or morphed through cultural exchange to pagan rituals. Uh, and Christians didn't like that. That uh, makes because, sense. Because, like, there's got to be opposing forces. Sure. So when Pope Gregory the Ninth, uh, <laughs> but probably other popes, too, were warning against witchcraft and paganness, they started associating black cats with Lucifer and the devil and just started like decrying random witchy type animals like frogs and ducks and cats. <laughs> ducks? Uh, Why ducks? <laughs> I don't know. They're kind of an outlier there. They aren't spooky at all. I don't know. I think I, I would be pretty scared. I don't Maybe I'm just lumping them in with geese, <laughs> yeah. but I, I, don't, I don't know if I would trust them. No, I guess if you ran into a duck at night, that might be kind of a different story. Yeah. Anyway, so I think a powerful person was just like, ooh, cats, bad, cats. And yeah. then everyone took that idea and ran with it yeah. to the point where even today, like, people are less likely to adopt black cats and especially around Halloween times are, like, really mean to black cats on the street. Yeah. Hmm. Okay, well, now it's time to move into our game for the week. So. Cats are one of the greatest animals of all time, in my opinion, and they inspired one of the greatest musicals of all time, Cats. Unfortunately, (laughs) I have never seen Cats, but I have seen the movie, which is also pretty good. So this week, to celebrate Cats and Cats, I present to you Truth or Fail, Cats, the musical, the movie, the game. Uh, So it's just... So I will present you with three facts about Cats. But two of them are not real. Two of them are dirty cat lies. And one of them is a dirty cat truth. And you will have to (laughs) decipher and divine from my trickery which one is the the true fact. So here's fact number one. McCavity, the Napoleon of crime, is a world-class deceiver. But he and his cat kin may be able to tell when they're being deceived as well. 
Earlier this year, a study found that cats knew when a human that they had been trained to trust started to lie to them about which of two containers held a hidden treat. Other animals tended to continue to trust the human even when they saw the treat be put into the bowl that the human was not calling them to. The animal would see them doing it in all of the studies. So they knew which one it was, and then the person would be like, it's this one. And then they'd have to see if they trusted him or not still. Fact number two. Bustopher Jones, the cat about town, is known for his love of a free meal. But a recent study found that, contrary to cats' reputation as moochers, they are actually one of the most likely of all animals to turn their nose up at a free meal. When given the option between a free meal, just like it's sitting in a bowl, out and easy to get, and one that they had to work for by solving a food puzzle, cats almost always went for the puzzle first. Many animals, when given the choice, will tend to go for the free meal first. The researchers theorize that by leaving the free meal alone, the cats are assuring that they will have a meal if the harder-to-get meal disappears, so they're saving their easy food for later. Fact number three. The cats in the movie Cats were uncanny valley nightmares, part cat, part man. And real world cats uh, are maybe a little more similar to people than you'd think too. Recent genetic sequencing suggests that the cat genome might be closer to the human genome in terms of structure than any animal outside of apes. A cat is not a dog, but they ain't too far away from humans in some ways. (laughs) (laughs) So the three facts are, number one, cats know when they're being lied to. Number two, Cats will turn their nose up at a free meal. Number three, cats and humans have very similar genetic structure, which is the true fact. (laughs) This is one of those ones where even if the first one is a lie, like if you're making up that cats like can tell a lie, like I know that my cat knows when I'm lying. Like it's, (laughs) it's, he knows when he's going to go to the vet and he knows when I am trying to like bait him. He knows when I'm going to try to grab him. Like uh-huh. he knows and he just has a deeply suspicious nature. Does he trust you in good times? Like, does he know when you actually have a treat and just like want to hang out? Yeah. He knows when like I have a treat for him. Like he can't fi- figure out my lies. Sometimes I'll like hold up my fist as if I have a treat in it and kind of uh, like make a throwing motion. That's a nasty <laughs> and then one. Be, like really mad. How is he supposed um, to know? <laughs> I know. Yeah. So I feel like it's fair. Um, but that's not enough for me to feel necessarily because I don't know that he trusts anyone else either. Like, so that's the uh-huh. thing is like, I don't know if this is an issue of like being taught to trust a specific person versus just like his general untrusting nature. Sure. I also immediately was like, oh, one must be true because Inky can also tell when (laughs) I'm trying to get her to do something. Uh, And I can sort of trick her into she takes a pill every morning. And now it's like a routine (laughs) where if I give her other treats in addition to like the pill pocket treat, then she'll eat it. But if Uh not, she just won't eat the pill plain or you got to buy her off. off. Yeah. Yeah. I've got to pay her off. (laughs) <laughs> to do the thing that I want her to do. And sometimes she still betrays me. She, like, will eat around. She'll eat the pill pocket around the pill and then spit it out so that she can get more treats because I'll give uh, her more. But that's uh-huh. just that's just being wily. That's not, like, <laughs> a criminal mastermind. Um, but I could see cats being distrustful. The second one about turning their nose up at food. In my experience, cats are really lazy. So yeah. I don't know. I don't think there's think ever so. a time. Well, maybe not. Well, okay. <laughs> would your cat turn down a free meal is what I want to know. Yeah, would Lilu? You can't ask me questions like that. 
That's illegal. <laughs> I know for a fact that she eats so fast that she pukes because she loves food. So that's a no from Sam. <laughs> Two, absolutely fake. <laughs> if it's the real yeah. one, I'll go yeah. eat some cat food. And the third one. Wow. Okay, wait. Are you willing to lock down that statement? <laughs> <laughs> I'll eat one piece of cat food if, if, okay. it was, if it's the real one. Okay. I feel like one rings so true to my experience that I'm going to overthink myself out of it. So I just got to go with it. I'm also going to go with one. We're going to underthink it yeah. and that's going to be how we lose. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're a couple of uh, dopes because that's the one no. is fake. Fact oh, no. number one is about dogs. Patooey, patooey, the opposite of a cat. Mm. Oh. Uh, the experiment presented the dogs with two bowls, one empty, one containing a treat. The dog saw which one the treat was in. Uh, the human led them to the correct bowl a bunch of times and then started trying to lead them to the wrong bowl, but the dogs did not fall for it. And Asterix, I don't think they've tested cats on this, but... <laughs> if you tested our cats, then yeah. they would absolutely distrust you. But... Monkeys and even human children were more likely to follow the advice of the liar than dogs were. Mm. So dogs are smart, I guess. Here's number two. This oh, no. Fact, <laughs> you knew it. <laughs> this one's not true. This one's not true. You don't have to eat cat food. Oh, my goodness. Okay. <laughs> Cats have actually been found to be the most lazy of all animals in looking for food. Yeah. Almost every single other animal, including pets, including pet dogs, like pets and pet dogs and giraffes and all kinds of stuff, will tend to favor a meal that they have to work for, which is a behavior called contra-freeloading. Uh, and people are not, like, scientists aren't entirely sure why animals prefer to work for their food, but they think that it might be because animals need to test the reliability of harder-to-get food, and they just are instantly suspicious of easy-to-get food. Uh, so just in case food becomes unavailable, they know really well how to get the harder-to-get food. Cats, on the other hand, are huge freeloaders, uh, <laughs> and in a home environment, cats studied chose free food every single time that they were given the option <laughs> and they never would ever try to solve a puzzle. Because why would you? They're smart. A puzzle is that they? stupid. That, they that's like the food. whole reason they got domesticated in the first place. They were like, oh, yeah. food yeah. over here? This guy's going to give me food, so I don't have to do this shit anymore. Yeah. <laughs> and fact number three is the true one. The cat genome has recently been mapped thoroughly and it was found to be arranged very similar to the human genome uh, more so than other common lab animals like mice. Uh, and the similarity may also include DNA that we don't know the function of in our own genome. So that's sometimes mm -hmm. called dark matter DNA. So <laughs> the thought is, if we start messing with cat DNA, turning things on and off, we'll be like, ah, that makes the cat be inside out. And we'll know that. <laughs> and we can just assume it makes the human be inside out. And we don't have to actually turn a human inside out to figure that out. So... Sorry, cats, you shouldn't maybe be so similar to us because now we're going to do bad <laughs> things to you. But we still love you. They got dark so fast. Yeah. It's a Halloween episode, okay? <laughs> <laughs> so that leaves us with a score. Yeah, two big brains got zero to zero. <laughs> <laughs> well, now we're going to take a short break and then it will be time for the fact off. SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Rocket Money. If I asked you how many subscription services you had, you think you could name them all? 
And before you just start naming streaming apps, remember that basically everything has a subscription these days. Video games, dating apps, food delivery apps. It's a subscription service world. We're just living in it. And with all of these subscriptions, it can feel like money is just flying out of your account. And that, frankly, sucks. But Rocket Money can help. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money can help you negotiate to lower some bills for you by up to 20%. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in total canceled subscriptions. Escape from the planet of the subscription services and stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash tangents. That's rocketmoney.com slash tangents. Rocketmoney.com slash T-A-N-G-E-N-T-S. Welcome back. And now it's time for the fact off. Our panelists have brought science facts to present to me in an attempt to blow my mind. I don't think I've ever been the recipient of a fact off before, except back when I used to commonly be the recipient of a fact off. After they've presented their facts, (laughs) I will judge them and award Sam books any way that I see fit. But first, to decide who will present the first fact, here's a trivia question for you. Cats are a known predator of rats, so naturally researchers put them in a Coliseum test box together, incited them to attack, and recorded the results under a variety of conditions. One of those conditions was blindfolding the cats. Compared to trials that just had a cat and a rat in a box, what percentage of attacks were completed when they blindfolded the cat? So like 100%. I imagine you could assume that pretty close to 100% would be the non-blindfolded cat. Yeah. It's not presented with that information. mm -hmm, but Compared to that. Well, I don't have good anecdotal data for this one because (laughs) You haven't ever blindfolded your cat and put it in a coliseum (laughs) with a rat? (laughs) Maybe like 20%? 20%. Taboki, what do you think? I feel pretty optimistic about their ability. I'm going to say 50%. The answer is 68%. Oh, my oh, gosh. Good. Blind hunting, huh? Wow. I was going to guess 70%. So <laughs> <I feel. laughs> Their bloodlust cannot be stopped, even under any condition. Yeah. So, Deboki, would you like to go first or would you like to make Sari go first? I'll go first. So cats are not exempt from the laws of nature, but just like us, that doesn't mean they always understand what those laws are. Uh, Researchers have been trying to untangle just how well cats understand causality, which is when you understand that there's some kind of force connecting two events. In 2009, scientists tested this out with baited string, where cats had to pull a string toward them to get food or a treat that was attached at the other end. And they were pretty great at this when there was one string, but if there were two strings, whether those strings were like in parallel to each other or if they were crisscrossed, they had a really hard time picking out which was the right string, like which string actually had the the treat at the other end, which suggests that they weren't super great at causality, at least when it comes to the physical properties of string. But a few years later, scientists were like, hey, 
maybe we're looking at the wrong skills. Cats rely heavily on sound to hunt, so a team decided to see if cats could use sound to predict some kind of effect. They decided to test this out by shaking a container in front of a cat, uh, so the container would either make a rattling sound or not when shaken. So either when you shake it, either it's rattling or it's quiet. And then there was like a turning over phase where the experimenter would turn the container over and either an object would fall out or nothing would fall out. So there's like two sets of conditions where like the physics makes sense. You can have the case where the container rattles when you shake it and then you turn it over and something falls out. So it like feels like there's like an object in there and then you mm -hmm. actually see the object fall out. And then there's the case where there's no sound and no object. So those are the two like physically possible cases. And then you have the two possible conditions that don't make sense physically. So that's where the container makes a sound, but no object falls out or the uh, container doesn't make a sound, but an object falls out. So when they tested out those um, those four conditions on uh, 30 domestic cats, they found that when the container was shaken, the cats tended to look longer at containers that made a sound. And when the container was turned over, the cats tended to look longer when the conditions didn't make sense. So when mm. it was those two physically kind of impossible conditions. Mm -hmm. So to the re researchers, these results suggest that cats have some kind of understanding of uh, the causality around sound that they use to predict the presence of things that they can't actually see and that they might even have a very basic understanding of gravity that they rely on to hunt. Wow. <laughs> I love that. Just like you get to look at confused cats. <laughs> Sadly, when I was looking at these different papers, I could not find like videos of these experiments. Oh, no. But I Sounds do so really cute. want to try one. Uh -huh. And the containers that they used for those experiments were cool, too. I think they were like containers that had a special kind of like magnetized lid situation going on. Mm -hmm. So there were like little iron bear, uh, ball bearings in the container that would like either rattle or not rattle. But there was a uh, there was oh. a switch that would like attract the ball bearings to the lid. So that's like how they changed the sound and like falling out conditions. Oh, you know how else they could have done it they got got two different cans <laughs> <laughs> but then yes, they would have the cats would have seen you switch them out and then it would have been a whole other experiment i guess so, yeah i guess yeah cats <laughs> they understand deception yeah cats are so much better than dogs i would say <laughs> <laughs> okay so when you think of model organisms used in research things like fruit flies or mice or maybe zebrafish come to mind but here's a weird one. I guess it's a little less weird because of your truth or fail fact. Um, uh -oh. But cochlear implants probably wouldn't exist without cats. Oh. And the basic way a cochlear implant works is by taking sound as input, skipping over damaged parts of the ear, and delivering electrical signals to auditory nerves in the cochlea, which is the spiral-shaped inner ear cavity. And experiments where scientists tried to use electricity to stimulate hearing started around the mid-1700s and 1800s with human subjects, including themselves. But eventually, we had questions that, as far as I can tell, felt unethical or unanswerable by testing human ears and brains. So by uh -oh. 1930, some researchers had started looking at how cats' auditory nerves process sound. So basically, the, the question of dark matter DNA, but ears instead. <laughs> The biggest question I had was why cats, because, like, I didn't know that they were genetically similar. I doubt these scientists did. And after <laughs> reading many of these old papers, I don't have a hugely satisfying answer, but I can relay their written-down logic. 
The explanation offered in a 1930 paper was, number one, cats are pretty smart, or as they framed it, stand fairly high in the animal scale. Uh, Number two, scientists had experimented on cat ears and brains before, so they kind of knew what they were doing, at least more than other mammals. And number three, cat hearing is similar to humans, which we now know is true on the low end of frequencies, though cats are way better at hearing high frequencies than us. Hmm. And that's kind of all hand wavy, but I think it laid the foundation for further cat-based hearing experiments. A once you pop, you just can't stop kind of rationale. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. What did they do to them? Yeah. So in the 1960s, for example, there was a team at Stanford University who tested some electrical hearing technologies for human ears and coined the term cochlear implant in 1967. But Hmm. whenever there was research on humans, more in-depth cat experiments were just around the corner. So in the 1970s, that same team hooked up a bunch of wires and electrodes into cat inner ears and brains to see what happens Uh. if you send electrical signals directly to the cochlea nerves and compare that with sending an acoustic signal to sort of echo around the inner ear. Because of those invasive wires, they pretty directly compared how electrical and acoustic signals got transmitted to the inferior colliculus region of the brain where sound is processed, and they figured out that the direct nerve stimulation was more effective than the acoustic signals for hearing. And to explain why cats, they mostly repeated the same threads of logic from decades earlier, like using cats as a way to avoid ethical concerns if their test subjects got hurt or died, which did happen. R.I.P. some cats. Uh, But from the research angle, cat brains process sound similarly to human brains, integrating information from both ears and having pretty clear pathways from auditory nerves in the cochlea to auditory nerves in the brain, so they could glean useful data and apply their findings pretty directly to human ear systems. So maybe it's just because domestic cats were nearby and had keen ears, or maybe because the scientists secretly knew that cats shared a lot of DNA with humans, they became key players in understanding how we hear from mapping auditory nerve pathways to testing cochlear implant technology. Thank you, cats. And we only had to cut open their brains. And put electric Mm -hmm. wires in them and be like, can you hear me now? (laughs) (laughs) Well, now I have to award the winner the crown. Uh, And usually Hank's been doing it, but what would make a better TikTok? I guess we could do that same uh, metric. But, you know, actually, I can't stand by it. a fact where a cat's brains are getting cut open. <gasps> That's very cool. I figured. I figured it would make you too sad. <laughs> it's spooky, though. Ooh, brains. You can't hurt them. You can only mildly trick them, which is why, Jaboki, you are the winner of oh, Fact okay. Off. And thus the winner of the entire show with a score of one to zero. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Sarah, your fact is also really, really cool. Yeah. I just don't want to think about their little brains getting cut open. Come on. That's fair. (laughs) All right. And now it is time to ask the science couch where we ask listener questions to our creepy couch of devious scientific minds. This week's question is from Elisa Mayer, who asks, do cats move their tails on purpose and why? I don't know. My cat just sits there and it swishes all around randomly. I can never divine any kind of intentionality or like emotion from what it's doing. But then sometimes she taps it and that always freaks me out. (laughs) Yeah. Isn't there like an... Like an angry cat tail tap. Oh, is that an anger thing? I thought so. I mean, if it's not, I'm going to revise a lot of things. Oh, no. (laughs) We lose angry a lot then because she just sits there and does that like 
all the time. I mean, presumably it's like any other kind of communication then where maybe it's a an individual thing. Mm-hmm. I think that's it. So in, in the way that cats use tails for social signals, I think it's a case-by-case basis because your cat communicates in the way that it has learned to mm-hmm. and has received feedback from. But generally, uh, from what I was reading, if it's thumping its tail, then it's some sort of like very focused or grumpy oh. or like thinking about something. Okay. And if it's like swishing more lazily, then that's like relaxed thinking in the same way that we might tap our fingers or scratch our heads when when we're thinking. Sure. So despite how much we would want to know about this question or like the average person would think about their cat communicating, there isn't a lot of formal scientific literature on it. And that's not to say that people aren't looking into it. It's just like my usual ways of researching the Ask the Science Couch question were kind of tapped Mm -hmm. as far as like using peer-reviewed research. But I did learn about one type of voluntary movement. So cats moving their tails on purpose with respect to balance. Like we would move our arms to get grab something or uh, like to provide a counterweight. So there was one study where they had cats, they described it as like climbing on beams and things like that. And when they were walking normally, they wouldn't use their tail. Their tail would just like move involuntarily swishing around. But if they jostled the beam to throw the cat off balance, then their tail would go in the opposite direction Hmm. uh, that they were falling to like provide a counterweight so that they could catch their balance. There was also another study on falling cats, falling a safe distance, but they would rotate their tail in the opposite direction that their body is rotating to like help provide a counterweight as they're flipping around to land on their feet. Oh, pretty smart. Yeah. So there is moving their tails on purpose for balance reasons. Also probably moving their tails on purpose for uh, communication reasons, but then there's also probably a bucket of involuntary, absent-minded tail movement. And it's actually very strange to me that we haven't studied cattails more. And maybe I just don't know anatomy very well, but I looked into the anatomy of a tail to see if I could glean anything from that. But there are 18 to 23 vertebrae or bones. They're bigger at the base and get smaller towards the tip. So like the tail tapers. But there are six tail muscles on each side of the tail for very Hmm. precise movements, like to go back and forth or to curl up or to curl down um, or to Hmm. rotate. And that seems like a lot of muscles. So I feel like there is a lot in cattails that we don't understand and for some reason haven't looked into, probably because behavioral research is really tricky um, when the extent of studies you can do is like, does my cat look confused as it's <laughs> as it's pouring yeah. out at, at, at like the scientific can? But they're capable of very strong and very precise movements of their tail. So yes, they move it on purpose. And we don't know why all the time. <laughs> and that's okay. <laughs> if you want to ask the science couch, follow us on Twitter at SciShowTangents, where we'll tweet out the topics for upcoming episodes every week. Thank you to at Mirthalia, at Cabler Kirby, and everyone else who tweeted us your questions for this episode. Deboki, thank you so much for being here. We've been saving the cat episode for you for uh, like a year or something, I feel like. (laughs) Thank you for having me. Thank you for saving this episode for me. Yes, of course. I hope you enjoyed yourself. Do you have anything to plug? 
Yeah, I had a podcast series that came out in the month of August. It's like a four-episode little pop-up series um, for Scientific Americans Science Talk podcast. Um, and I talked about some science books that I've been reading and just kind of like talked about the science I learned and some other things. So uh, if you want to check that out again, you can just go to Science Talk and look for the Summer of Science reading uh, pop-up series. Do you use your your murder mystery podcast voice? It's a little less murdery, but still <laughs> hopefully at least a little mysterious. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, you can see and hear more Devoki at Journey to the Microcosmos, the YouTube channel. Oh, and also Crash Course Organic Chemistry. Yes, you're all uh, over the place. Yeah. Devoki's a much harder get than Hank. So <laughs> this is why we have to save special episode topics. Yeah. And also, Hank isn't here, like I said earlier, because it's Pizza Miss. So you can go to DFTBA.com to find all kinds of Pizza Miss merchandise that you can buy that has uh, Hank's brother's John's face on it with a mustache that says pizza underneath. And people love it and you will too so go check out pizza miss if you like the show and you want to help us out it's really easy to do that first you can go to patreon.com slash tangents to become a patron and get access to things like our newsletter and our bonus episodes oh we're so close to watching cars too please go over there and sign up. <laughs> we're so damn close this month's bonus episode is going to be spooky stories that have to do with p i guess according to hank in the last bonus episode so he made it so much harder <laughs> yeah. with like a, a throwaway word yeah now I have to include piss in my story. <laughs> Second, leave us a review wherever you listen. It's super helpful and helps us know what you think about the show. And finally, if you want to show your love for SciShow Tangents, just tell, tell people, people about, about us. It. Thank you for joining us. I have been Sam Schultz. <laughs> I've been Sari Riley. And I've been Deboki Chakravarti. SciShow Tangents is created by all of us and produced by Caitlin Hoffmeister and me, Sam Schultz, who edits a lot of these episodes along with the horrible Hiroko Matsushima, our scary <laughs> social media organizers, Paola Garcia Prieto. I forgot I put the scary words in here. Editorial assistant is Deboki Chakravarti. Didn't give you a scary one. I already said a scary one for you earlier. Our sound design is by Joseph Buna Medish. And we couldn't make any of this without our putrid patrons on Patreon. Thank you. And remember, the mind is not a coffin to be filled, but a jack-o'-lantern to be lighted. But one more thing. <laughs> Cats can get stressed in new environments, but there's ways to help them through it, like giving them a box. Researchers have found that cats with a box to hide in during the first few weeks in a new space have a lower urine cortisol creatine ratio, which is a biomarker of lower stress levels. And if they don't have a hiding box, some cats will flip over their litter box to make one. So by giving your new cat something calming to put its butt in, you might have an easier time cleaning what comes out of it. If it fits, it sits, and it doesn't shits. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really trying to get that stinger at the end. I think you, I think you did it. I think that's all we need. Yeah. <laughs> that was great.